Welcome everyone to Ruminations, powered by the SCU Imaginarium. My name is Jason, I'll be your host for today. And uh, today's guest is very interesting for me. Um, I've talked with her numerous times over email, mostly about uh, getting academic advising and then realizing that uh, I went to the wrong person and should have gone to peer advising <laughs> instead. Uh, I'm very fortunate to take her class um, this quarter, one of the more interesting classes of my quarter, even though uh, I do have a little bit of trouble uh, actually attending it, but please welcome uh, Dr. S Patty Simone. How are you doing? Good, Jason. Thanks for having me, actually. <laughs> I have to admit that I'm, I'm impressed that, that you've invited me because I've called you Justin for pretty much the entire <laughs> quarter. <laughs> no, no, no. It's my pleasure to have you on. To be completely honest, like most of my professors call me Justin at least once or twice. And, you know, it's it happens. But I, I'm really glad that you're on. Um, I well, do... actually, maybe if you came to class more often, I would have uh, <laughs> I would have been able to. <laughs> yeah, touche, touche. I actually wanted to ask you about that. Um, you know, I do struggle a lot with attending class. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people do as well due to whatever circumstance that they might be going through. I guess what I am wondering, you know, what is the professor's view of people who are late or absent to class? Is it like, um, oh, they're being irresponsible or I don't really know that they're there or, you know, what's, what's, what's the general consensus on, on that? Well, actually, Jason, we, we take it personally. <laughs> I, I'm kind of joking. I, first of all, I don't think I can speak for everybody. But, you know, the class that you're in, there are 35 students. And uh, we haven't had all 35 in the class the entire quarter. Um, and, I, I, I mean, I think the material is interesting. So I'm, I'm surprised students don't make it a priority to get there. But I get it. Like you said, there are other things going on. This is, you know, I, I, I can't argue with the fact that students have to prioritize. So as you know from class, I don't penalize not coming to class at all. Uh, it's not a requirement. I'm, I'm really hoping students will come because they're interested in coming and engaging in those conversations. Right. Yeah, I definitely have to agree that, uh, especially the, the class that um, I'm taking from you right now, which... Uh, is Psych uh, 167 for SEU students. It's uh, psychopharmacology. I would say definitely one of the more interesting classes in uh, the psych department. But especially during, you know, COVID, I think was sort of, at least I noticed, there was a big shift in being a little more lenient to those sorts of policies and being a little more lenient to uh, accommodating for whatever is, is really going on. Um, yeah, just to follow up on that too, you know, this is something that I talk a lot with uh, friends or peers, and I've had a few conversations with professors about this, about whether it's better to show up very, very late or just to not show up at all. Because on one hand, obviously, you want to get your money's worth. You want to use your tuition money and actually go to class, even if you're going for a very small amount. And then there's kind of that other argument where it's like, you don't want to disrupt class or you don't want to, you know, show up late and be that person who shows up late every time. Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah. So actually, um, 
I'm fine with coming late. One, like right now this quarter, I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately keeping that door open so that students feel free to come in late because opening up the door sometimes can be disruptive to the others in the class. Mm -hmm. So that's why I prop that door open. That right. and it's not bad to have some circulation in the, in the classroom as well. But largely it's because someone told me that they needed to come late each class by a couple minutes and I, I, offer, you know, I, I made that promise. So I think it's super easy to walk in and out of that class without being disruptive to the others. Um, it's a really odd thing as a professor, and I don't know that everyone feel that everyone is the same way, but I it registers for me. But I'm almost in a mode where I don't find it disruptive. Like I, I, I it registers, but it doesn't stop me from if I'm mid sentence, right? It doesn't mess me up or anything. I think it's more distracting for students in the class than than it is for me. Right, yeah. right. So is it worth coming for the last five minutes of class? Probably not, you know. Yeah, you, you, know, you missed all of everything we were going to do right until that point. But it's probably better to come, and then you can talk to, the, talk to me afterwards and say, I am so sorry I, you know, I wasn't there. I recommend that you don't ask what, you know, did I miss anything important? It mm -hmm. is amazing to me how many students ask that question. You know, you've just missed you know, 65 minutes of a conversation. Yeah, it was important. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm guilty of the asking that for sure. Like, yeah, I just missed an, you know, an hour of class. That's a third of the week that we meet and I'm just not there. Of course there's going to be something. <laughs> there's no way there's not. Right. But yeah, no, uh, thank you for that insight. Um, you know, just to get into the meat and potatoes of things. Um, I recently had Dr. Whitfield on and we talked about, you know, what psychology is, right? And what we sort of came to was that psychology is obviously a very, very broad field that covers a bunch of things. Everyone sort of has their own idea of what it is, but it sort of revolves around the behavior of humans and how we sort of interact with things around us. I just want to get your take on this as well. How, what do you feel like is psychology? What is psychology to you? Uh, yeah, the definition would be the study, the scientific study of behavior. I wouldn't limit it just to humans, actually. Um, we're not always interested in understanding how this relates to humans, but some in psychology do. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, it is a very broad field. I think it spans really from the disciplines of sociology to biology. Uh, so it, it's kind of a bridge between those two. So kind of when you mention it doesn't always apply to humans, right? Sometimes we can uh, research like animal behavior, for instance. I guess, you know, as a little follow up to that, is that part of psychology really beneficial to the field? Since wouldn't you think that a lot of psychology would be about studying things that are applicable to us? Uh, so a branch of psychology, more of the biological side, is interested in understanding how the brain works, how it's connected, you know, the circuits are connected. And a lot of times we'll use animal research for that. And it's not so that we understand how the human brain is connected because it might not be the same, right? right? I mean, uh, some, some scientific research looks at sea slugs to see how the neurons are connected. Now, we all have, you know, if we have neurons in common, then we can make some extrapolations, but it's not saying I want to understand, I want to study the sea slug to understand humans. There are multiple steps in the way. 
So, I mean, maybe ultimately it's not up to this person who's studying sea slugs or mice or rats. They're not necessarily trying to make breakthroughs that immediately get to understanding humans, but someone else might take that research and move it closer to understanding humans. But no, I, I actually, I mean, basic research doesn't necessarily have to have an application and certainly doesn't have to be applied to humans. It's sort of like you want to build up that foundation that will eventually lead to, you know, something that we can apply to ourselves. But at the end of the day, it's basic information that we can use, apply elsewhere, and wherever it goes is wherever it goes. Yep. Mm, I, gotcha. do, I do believe in the value of basic science right, and basic right, research. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, so uh, I want to transition to, you know, talking about our class. So uh, you teach psychopharmacology, which... Um, but a lot of your research is sort of focused on aging, I believe. And at least, you know, the, the way that I've sort of been seeing it is that they're related, but not very related. So what sort of inspired you or motivated you to teach psychopharm alongside aging and, and other things like that? Yeah, um, great questions. Uh, when I was an undergraduate, it basically in your seat right now, I, I took a couple psychopharm classes and I just was amazed. One was a, a drugs and society class and the other one was called drugs and behavior. And I really liked that faculty member. He did a really good job teaching so much so actually that I asked him if I could join his lab. And that kind of helped set me on the direction of getting involved in research. Um, but yeah, so I just, I, I found it fascinating. And then as a grad student, I took classes in psychopharmacology. Uh, my dissertation, I used scopolamine as, as, a, as, as a drug to help um, impair memory in an animal model. I was interested in understanding Alzheimer's disease, right? So I was trying to generate this lab model of, of memory deficits like in Alzheimer's disease. So that's kind of been my, that, that's how I started to learn more and more about psychopharm. I mean, and I was interested because of, I have family members who used a whole variety of drugs. And so I was interested to know what are those drugs doing and, um, yeah, not only to them individually, but what's the impact on society. So aging, if you want me to carry on. So aging, I got interested in that. Again, a lot from personal experience. Um, I'm the youngest in my family, the youngest of six. My mom died when she was young and I was young. To, uh, not that young. I was 15. Um, but because I was the last one in the house, my dad started, you know, bringing me out with him if he was going out to meet with some people. Anyway, so I, I, I've been around older people much of my life. Uh, and just really came to appreciate them. So that's when I was in graduate school, I, I changed the focus of my dissertation to include working with humans, not just animals, but humans. And I was interested in aging and Alzheimer's disease. So when you say I, I study aging, I'm really talking about 65 and older, the older adult population. Right, right. No, that's really interesting how you sort of bring up, uh, you know, obviously we are inspired a lot by our surroundings, whether it's college, family, or just the people we're around with. And it's, it's really cool to see how that sort of influenced not only your field of research, but you know the, the things that you teach, the things that you're really interested in. Uh, I want to table aging for now and focus specifically on psychopharm. You mentioned that 
uh, you started being interested in that a lot more when you were in college and sort of learning from professors and now you're sort of teaching it in a college environment as well. Obviously, college can uh, has a perception of sort of being this this gateway to a lot of drugs in in young adults. Um, I guess you know now that you've sort of seen both sides of that, both as a student and as a professor. How do you sort of see the whole college drug culture? Uh, are you are you aware of all of it, or, or what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not a, I'm not invited to the parties. Let's say <laughs> that. Uh, but I certainly am aware that it's your age group. It's, it's not just the college environments. It's your age group where people are likely to experiment with different drugs. So, yeah, I mean, I'm aware of that. Um, when I teach the class, I'm, I'm not a just say no type of a person. I'm, Hey, here are the facts and you, you're going to make your own decisions, but you really should have the facts before you decide. Uh, my only regret is I, I think it's a phenomenal class and I know a lot of students take it because of the content and other students take it because it satisfies a requirement or two. I wish it was a lower division class that all incoming students needed to take and, and they took it because they were, you know, they wanted to know. There's so much misinformation out there and it's so easy to make a bad choice that is hard to recover from. Right. If you get to recover from it. So not that all drugs are dangerous. Most people are using drugs on campus without having any difficulty with it at all. But I, I still do think that people should know what what's happening and, you know, what the drugs do. I actually, I actually think that about pharmaceutical medications as well. So recreational drugs and also pharmaceutical drugs. I think people should be aware of what the drug does and what its effects are, what its limitations are, too. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that uh, on that, you know, with especially when we look at the the way drugs are sort of passed around, uh, whether it's on off campus, whoever, there's sort of this, I don't want to necessarily say disregard, but there's kind of this um, blissful ignorance of what the drug is actually doing for or to you. And it's just a matter of, you know, take this, if you like the effect, keep taking more of it. And as much as that is an approach to it, it can also lead people into some, some pretty dangerous pathways. Um, but yeah, you know, on, on that note too, I was just wondering how much of an effect do you really see uh, on your students who sort of take your class? Obviously, there is that academic part of they know more information, they're more informed, but ab about like actually changing people's opinions on drugs or minds about drugs. Uh, so how do you how do you feel your influence has been on that? Um, you know, we have some people in the class, always when I've taught this, um, some people don't have experience with any of these drugs, even caffeine, right? Right. So that, that's a pretty small number. Um, but not, to my knowledge, and I've never done a survey, I should actually, but I've, I've never done an anonymous survey to see who in the class actually has firsthand use with these different drugs. So I, I, I don't know, and but I do know based on data that's collected generally at the university, it's all survey data, so this is self-report, uh, that Santa Clara students are most likely, you know, their alcohol is, is certainly consumed frequently. And I have definitely seen drunk students on campus. <laughs> 
uh, marijuana would be also up there. Right. Um, and, and then stimulants, study drugs, as you say, as well. Those would be the three I would say are probably most commonly used on campus. But, and, and I think the data support that. Hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, and people in fraternities and sororities are more likely to use these drugs than non, uh, and people who live on campus more likely than commuters. So we've got all that data. But now, have I changed anyone mi anyone's minds about drugs? I, first of all, I don't think anyone's come into my class thinking, you know, I think I'm going to try amphetamine. Right. But, but right. let me take Simone's class first to right, see. Right. I don't think anyone is. Uh, so no one's come to me and say, I decided not to do it. Mm -hmm. But people have come to me to let me know that they have tried one drug in particular following my class. Mm. You know, you mentioned that you, you've seen people drunk on campus and, you know, teaching a, a psychopharm class. I, I have to ask this. Has anyone ever shown up to a class intoxicated or, or high? <laughs> Not that I know of. I honestly, oh, really? I mean, nope. I've seen people read newspapers right in front of me, right? Like <laughs> while I'm up there doing my thing. But I, to my knowledge... And, you know, I hope this isn't a challenge to anyone who's listening to this, <laughs> that they should come to my class drunk. But I have not, I have not witnessed that. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, you know, that's honestly surprising to hear, at least for me, because, you know, there, there are sometimes challenges where people will try and like sneak vodka in, into class, you know, just really? hide it in a water bottle or something. But, but why? I don't know, to be completely <laughs> honest. I, I can understand that it's like, oh, you know. Class is a drag. I'm, I want to make this more fun. I don't think that's the case for Psychopharm. That's, that's, yeah. I don't understand how you'd be able to understand that class if you were, if you were higher drunk too. Or any but. class, really. I mean, alcohol is not helping us learn anything. Right, right. right. It, it's going to interfere with that. So you might as well just not go. Right, yeah. No, huh, yeah. Because, um, you know, I, I will personally hear stories of people saying, oh, yeah, I, I smoked some weed before I went to class and it was lit or, or, or something of that sort. So it's, it's interesting to hear that, you know, you, you haven't really seen any of that. Uh, just to transition over to, you know, a little more serious note, uh, a lot of people on campus are probably dealing with some sort of drug use in some way, whether it's with them, with their friends, or maybe someone they know in passing. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you might have a friend who is, you know, really going through it and you don't really know how to help them in terms of whether it's drug use, alcohol use or, or whatever. Uh, are there any like advice or tips that you could give on if someone wanted to, to sort of help uh, a fellow peer out how they would go about it? Yeah, great question. And I think you're right that a lot of us are, you know, have this in our lives somehow. And particularly, again, your age group, more likely to be using and experimenting and maybe running into some trouble with these drugs in that they're not going to class. They're not, you know, they're not being responsible. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure you'd like to help. But uh, I mean, the truth is, is they really have to, the person who's struggling with, with, overuse of a substance is the one who has to make the decision that they need the help. Um, I'm you know, CAPS is, is well staffed right now. Um, I think that we have a lot of psychological services on campus that may be helpful to someone because, you know, as we've talked about in class, um, there's a lot of comorbidity with drug use and mental health 
disorders. So it could be that, you know, it's a cry for help and maybe they just need help with, you know, with their mental health to deal with depression, anxiety, whatever it might be. And that could help with, uh, with the drug use. So I guess, I guess my, my, you know, if you could get them over to CAPS, if you could get some psychological services, that might be helpful. I'm sure they deal with addiction as well. But the bottom line is if someone doesn't want help, if they don't recognize that they're in trouble, then they're not going to be open to that experience. Right, right. So it's sort of like, given that drug use is generally pretty common alongside uh, some, some sort of mental health um, struggle, it's hard to really, you know, open up someone for help if they themselves are not willing to, to sort of go for it. It's, it's up to them to make the first choice and then you can only be there so much for them as they would let you in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But really, I think that part of the main point is it, it's not always there. you see those two together, you know, uh, drug use and mental health concerns, but oftentimes they are intertwined. And even addiction is considered a mental health disorder in itself. So, you know, maybe going to CAPS would be the first step in, in trying to be able to help someone, but they have to be willing to go. You can't, you can't drag them there. Right, right. Yeah, you, you make a really good point there. Uh, yeah, I, I like to pivot over to, you know, just sort of being a, a professor in general, especially a professor of psychology. You learn a lot about how um, people sort of interact, right? Obviously, you learn that through being a professor, but you're also researching it in regards to, you know, being in the psych department. So I guess what I'm sort of wondering is, you know, Depending on what, what you learn in your research, is there any way that you modify the way that you teach to sort of fit that? Or is the way you teach as a professor and what you do in terms of research just completely separate? For some, it is separate, but, but it turns out that some of the research I do, uh, I'm interested in aging, as you mentioned, but I'm interested in cognitive aging and really improving memory of people of all ages. So not just older people, but young people as well. And, and it, it's also easier to study undergraduates than it is older people because I have to get them. I have the psych pool, right, that, right. I can, that I can tap into. So some of the work I do with Lisa Whitfield, as a matter of fact, is we're interested in finding ways to get students to do a harder thing, which, which then improves memory, right? So our research it tries to get students to test themselves, to make it fun so that they'll want to test themselves because testing yourself will improve your memory. Now, when we're in, make it longer lasting. When we're studying this to try and publish it, we'll do a, a study in the, in the lab, right? We'll have students learn word pairs like Swahili translations. Right. But certainly I can use this in class too, right? It, it's just good teaching pedagogy. And you don't have to be a psych professor to know this. You don't have to do this research. Uh, evidence shows that testing yourself and repeating information is helpful. So a lot of times in class, I'll bring up information from previous times that we were together and I'll ask, well, so wait, what do you remember about this? And I have you actively retrieve it. Right. And it's that active retrieval, even if you're wrong, honestly, but it's that active retrieval of trying to remember what we learned uh, a week or two ago that will make it so you have access to that information well beyond this class, actually. So I'm constantly trying to do that. And the way that I, I mean, the material lends itself to this too. It's cumulative. So what we learned week one, we're still talking about in week nine. 
Um, and you're applying all that throughout the quarter. So all of that earlier material is now, you know, we're applying it to the different drugs that we're talking about. Right. So it's sort of, you know, making sure that all of previous material is relevant and things that you you need to remember or recall. That's sort of what builds that, that um, it builds better learning, it builds better memory, and it, it makes for a more... Uh, stickier class in terms of the information that's a good way to describe it <laughs> thank you but um yeah no it's really interesting that you bring that up especially now since you know throughout this quarter i've been hearing a lot from people that oh yeah i feel like my my memory's not as good you know now that we're sort of i'm not sure if post-pandemic is the right term but the the peak of covid is sort of not there anymore uh, I've been hearing a lot of things about people saying, oh, yeah, my memory's not as good. I don't feel like I can focus as well. Um, yeah, I, I guess what I was wondering sort of was, you know, now that we're sort of in this post-COVID era, how has COVID sort of changed the way you teach or even how has COVID changed what you teach? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, again, great questions. And yeah, I agree that we're, who knows, we're not quite post COVID, but how wonderful it is to be sitting in the same room with you right. without a mask on. Um, so I'm glad we're at least progressing to, you know, I don't know, something that's more doable. Um, yeah, teaching online. Yeah, I, you definitely talk about how to, how hard it was on students and I get it teaching online was awful. Right. Uh, I would, uh, yeah, no, it was awful. There was not one good thing about it. To be sitting in a room by yourself looking at a flat screen of students who most of them don't have their, their cameras even on, I really felt like my biggest job was to make sure everyone was okay. Like, you know, not so much teach this content, but hey, are you all doing okay? And although I'm a psychologist, you might think I do that all the time, but I don't actually. I'm a very different type of psychologist than the one who talks about feelings. And, but nonetheless, I, I felt very much aware of the fact that we were not okay, and students right. in particular were not okay. It's definitely a tough time in your lives to have this happen. So, I, you know, I've been doing this throughout my career. Um, I mean, I've always tried to stay up on the latest developments in teaching and technology, um, but I really made the switch now that we're back in the classroom, cramming a lot of information into you is no longer my goal. And it hasn't been my goal in a while. I mean, I always felt like I have to give you some basis of knowledge so that you're prepared to talk about these other things, but I'm really much more focused now on the bigger picture. Why does this matter? And I don't know why it matters to you versus other people in the class. So I just try and talk about a lot of different things. I try and help students see how this is connected to the bigger world. So we talk about elections, right? And, and some of the uh, propositions that were coming up in, in this local election, uh, always related to class content. Uh, the digital drug is one of them. I think that was even a, an essay uh, question on the exam. I just, I try and connect with the bigger world because I also, I, this is, although these four years are kind of, you know, in this pigeonhole of your lives, it's really a launching pad for the rest of your life as well. So to get students thinking more about it, it's not just about these four years, it's about what am I gonna do with the rest of my life and how can I use this information in a lot of other situations. 
So I still do want you to learn content, um, but I think I have more of an attitude of as you read through the text and you're starting to, you're going to get, as you're more interested in what the material is, you're going to want to know more about it. And the learning will then come a little bit more naturally. Yeah. I, I definitely noticed that a lot taking your class, you know, from the, the documentaries you would have us watch sort of relating to uh, various ways that drugs or the drug in- industry interact with our lives. Um, the essay question you, you mentioned talking about, uh, I believe it was online gambling, mm-hmm. um, which was one of the, the propositions that we recently voted on in the state. It's really interesting how much, you know, especially with psych, but just in general, how much class material can sort of relate to our lives as a whole, not just something that we're studying for, whether it's profession or research. Uh, And now that, you know, COVID has sort of opened the floodgates on being informed and sort of being in touch with what's been going on in the rest of the country or the rest of the world, it's, it's honestly really refreshing getting to sort of see the immediate impacts of everything that we're learning about. I, I think definitely going forward, getting to see a lot more of that not only helps provide a, a lot of context to what we're learning, but I, I do think helps a lot with, with the learning process as well. Yeah. And hopefully you see too that, I mean, learning is a lifelong, I'm still learning, right? Uh, you know, uh, it's lifelong and, and it, it, you know, it's, it can be enjoyable and, and, it should be enjoyable and, and it should be something that we seek out because there's always something new to learn. Right, right. Yeah, but at the same time too, this sort of brings to something else that I, I really wanted to ask was, you know, psychopharm can be very interesting, but as well, it can also be very deep and, and depressing. You know, you hear a lot about overdose, you hear a lot about suicide, you hear a lot about crime rates, domestic violence, there are so many things that while this is definitely very interesting and intriguing to, to learn about, it's also very heavy. And I think this extends a lot to just psychology as a whole as well. As we come to learn more about ourselves, we come to learn more about how we behave, you know, you, you see a lot of the good, but you also see a lot of the bad. And at least for me, there are times when it definitely does feel very overwhelming to learn about. Um, you know, I guess the question that I wanted to ask was, how do you keep yourself grounded while learning about all these things? Because it's obviously very beneficial to learn about them, but you also don't want to lose yourself to what you're learning. You want to be in control of your knowledge, not necessarily enslaved to it. Yeah, I think I understand this. It's a pretty deep question. Um, and, and a good one. Uh, I, I think what keeps me grounded is that I see it is hopeful. Like, uh, yeah, there are bad things, but there's always something we can do about it. Right. So the more I learn, the more I move in the direction of what, what can be done about this. And yeah, sometimes it's just voting, right? Just, you know, figuring out what the different issues are and, and casting my vote. And yeah, I'm one vote. I'm just a little tiny drop of water in, in the ocean, but nonetheless, that's what I can do. And so therefore I do it. So I, I, it doesn't make me feel like I can't act. The more I learn, the more I feel that I am in control of, of what I know. And there are things I can do about it. Mm, gotcha. So it's sort of less about, you know, there's so much going on, everything's doomed, but more about, I'm more informed now. I can take more concrete action. I know personally speaking, 
uh, especially over COVID, I did a lot of doom scrolling and I, I still do to an extent do a lot of doom scrolling, you know, just looking through the news, seeing a bunch of just bad things happening and, and sort of, you know, really, really psyching myself out. But I guess, you know, knowledge is power. And, and the more that you know, the more that you can do, the more that you can act on, you know, the, our, our psychopharm class, we not only learn a lot about the drug itself and how it can harm you, but we also learn about treatments for it. And even if there are treatments that don't necessarily work right now, we at least have that approach. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a, for one, it's a much healthier way of looking at it, but yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Uh, yeah. So I just wanted to finish up with uh, one last question. You know, we, we sort of talked a lot about uh, how uh, COVID has been uh, sort of, sort of uh, messing a lot with the way that we learn, but I guess, you know, just to end on a, on a slightly more hopeful message, um, given the, the way that things have been, whether it's COVID, whether it's the increase in drug abuse, how might we move forward from this? Are, are, there, are there ways that we can recover more than just, obviously, there's, there's staying hopeful, but how, what, what might be the directions that we, we can take to, to move forward from this? Yeah, thinking from an individual perspective, like, and, and this also gets back to what I do different now in my classes. I, I don't give my students busy work. I never have, but I do try and give you a lot of work to do outside of class. You may have noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, I also respond to students, you know, after the first week, I get your feedback about, is this too much? And you tell me, yes, it is. And I know you're going to tell me that. (laughs) And so I cut back on those where I make some of them extra credit, right? So you don't feel like you have to do it all. Uh, Late policy is incredibly generous. There's a penalty, but it's minuscule. Right. Um, But... I, 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 I have all, I want you to engage in this material outside of class time because I think that's healthy rather than doom scrolling. I had not heard of that before. Thank you. (laughs) Um, and I've engaged in that myself, but to give yourself something else to do and then to feel like you're gaining this knowledge rather than you're being weighed down by the you know, what's going on in the world. I don't know. That can be empowering if we feel like we're taking control. Um, so, you know, it works for me. I hope it works for students in my classes too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to make it so that you're, you're working on it. And I tell you in class, you should be thinking about this content every other day at the very least. And actually my hope is you talk with others about this too. Right. Yeah, no, you, you make a really good point. And to be completely honest, Work has sort of always felt like a chore for me, but sort of now that there's so much more to think about, I guess, and and especially the way that work is a lot, but lenient, so it's it's challenging but not overwhelming, there's definitely a way that we can sort of, you know, channel that to be more productive, not get caught up in, in everything so much and, you know, use that energy to sort of push ourselves forward, move forward, not just distract ourselves, but also engage ourselves. And yeah, you, you, you make a really good point there, but yeah. Uh, thank well, you very I much. Like, that. I like that comparison there that, you know, don't just distract ourselves because sometimes we need to do that, but to really engage um, and yeah, to find something to focus on and that you become passionate about. Right. Yeah, for sure. Especially when there's, you know, so much out there. 
Um, but yeah, uh, thank you very much for, for coming. Uh, it was really great having this conversation with you. I, I know I haven't shown my face very often, but yeah, no, it, it's so nice to be able to talk to you like this. Um, before we end off, is there anything that you'd like to promote? Anything that you'd like to bring people's attention to? Oh, hmm. Hmm. Gosh, that's a really good question. Um, well, I would encourage, you know, anyone who is who thinks that they might have trouble with with their decisions they're making about drugs or alcohol to, to seek help, to talk to someone, right? To not hide it, um, but to, to maybe talk about it in the open and get help. There's a lot of help out there. And for students struggling with mental health concerns as well, a lot of resources on campus. Find a friend, find someone to talk to. I think that that's great. Uh, and as you had mentioned, find something you're passionate about and and work towards that, you know, work towards mastering that and feeling better about the knowledge that you're gaining on something that you find interesting and who knows what that is. Right. Yeah, no, very, very well said. And I want to thank you for inviting me. This is, <laughs> um, it, it's, it's nice to have a conversation with you. <laughs> right. No, no, no. The, the, the pleasure's all mine. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, so nice going from Oh, hi, Dr. Simone. I'd like to schedule an appointment for advising. Oh, sorry, Jason. You're supposed to talk to peer advising instead, going to actually being able to have a conversation with you. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Well, let me clarify. You can come talk to me about advising issues anytime, <laughs> Jason, anytime. Of course. And our peer advisors are awesome, too. But, uh, yes, yeah, stop by anytime. You know <laughs> right. where I live. Right, of course. Yeah, uh, with that in mind. Thank you, Dr. Simone. Thank you very much to uh, Dr. Zhang and the SU Imaginarium. Thank you to everyone who's watching and listening, and uh, hope to see you soon. This episode of Ruminations was made possible by Dr. David Zhang and the Santa Clara University Imaginarium. You can check us out on campus at HeFi237 or visit our website at www.scu.edu slash imaginarium.